0: on this episode of Adventures in Being Gifted.
1: Most gifted kids, they're just, they're eager to learn and they want to learn something new and and different. And they don't always get that in the classroom because usually curriculum is just like that bowling ball that goes down the middle of the, you know, the alley and it, it hits all the pins, but the one on the left and the one on the right, you know? So you, you've got a significant population that's kind of left out of a... Out
0: of the strike zone. That and a whole lot more coming up. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Adventures in Being Gifted podcast. I'm Jill Hartsock. And I'm Jessica Mullen. And we're two experienced gifted teachers and your hosts.
2: This podcast is a place for parents, educators, and students living the gifted adventure.
0: In each episode, you'll hear stories, practical tips, and deep dive into relevant topics related to being
2: gifted. So come along for another episode of Adventures in Being Gifted.
0: Today, we have an amazing guest that is representing the state of Ohio and the gifted organization called OAGC, or the Ohio Association of Gifted Children. This happens to be an organization that we, as Gifted Intervention Specialists, belong to as a professional organization. We go to the fall conference every year as much as we can, and we receive their different emails and their different alerts and and try to be as involved as we can, and we actually get to talk to the executive
2: director today. Isn't this awesome, Jess? I'm so excited. So she has just changed Ohio. I know the Ohio gifted world so much over the years that she's been involved and since, you know, Jill and I have been in the gifted world. So it's it's going to be really exciting yeah. to talk with her and hear, you know, kind of some of the updates on some of the important policies that – It's so important to be informed on.
0: And involved as much or as little as you can be, even if it is just reading the alerts or the emails or the website that she provides in our episode. I think, too, it's fun to hear a little bit about her background and also a little bit about what she does on the side, like her involvement with gardening and her involvement at the gym. So stay tuned. (laughs)
2: Today's guest is the Executive Director at Ohio Association of Gifted Children with a background in business and a master's in management. She is a mother of three gifted children, a gardener, enjoys reading, and loves going to the gym. Welcome to Ann Sheldon.
1: Glad to be here.
0: And we are so glad you're here. And before we get into some of the questions we're ready to ask you. We want to know about your hobby at the gym. We hear that you can deadlift 300 pounds. Tell
1: us about it. I can. I am I hope I can say this. I'm a complete badass when it comes Woo! to <laughs> <Really>. <laughs> Uh Started fairly late in life. Um, and I realized, you know, I'm kind of a Helga. So I uh, yeah, I I like lifting heavy and it's, it's fun. And, um, it kind of scares, you know, the younger women in the gym, but, (laughs) uh, it makes me feel strong. Oh yeah. You know, I think that's something that helps you mentally as well. So I've always enjoyed working out and this is just kind of a, a, you know, thing I've been doing for the last several years, but, um, but feeling strong emotionally is always a good thing. And feeling strong physically just kind of adds to all that.
0: We cannot agree more. So I also started working out at the gym about two years ago. And I mm-hmm. cannot I cannot lift 300 pounds. I have a couple of things I need to be careful with my back. But I... Yeah, admire you being able to lift that much, but just even like you're saying that day in, day out, being able to be at the gym, feeling confident about yourself and even just having that release from everything else in your life. It is a huge part of who I am and just helping me mentally. So I love that you're also doing the same.
1: Yeah. I mean, people, there is such a strong relationship between your mental and physical health and all of it you know, rolls into your emotional health. And and so you have to keep yourself completely healthy to be able to um, do things for other people.
0: Absolutely. And we'll come back
2: to that point, I'm sure, in just a little bit. So, Anne, go ahead and tell us, how did you end up at OAGC? And how did you kind of enter into the gifted world with your background being more business-oriented?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's... Probably not a, a an uncommon story in terms of how educators get into gifted education or, you know, gifted advocates get into their role. Um, I had a gifted kid. It started with my with my oldest, who uh, we moved to Ohio uh, about 30 years ago from we were in Texas at the time. We kind of moved all over the place and. Um, I, you know, being from the Midwest, uh, I grew up in Michigan. Um, I just had this kind of bias that, oh, well, of course, the Ohio schools, you're the good old Midwest schools, they're going to be way better than the Texas schools. And I was so wrong. I got here, she had done kindergarten in in San Antonio. And we got here. And it was a disaster. First grade was just terrible. Wow. So, you know, the the pivotal conversation really was like three weeks into the school year where it was clear she was super unhappy. And, and the first grade teacher, she phoned me and I thought, well, this is good. At least she knows. And she said, Oh, Mr. Sheldon, you know, I just wanted to let you know that part of what I do is I, I give all the kids, you know, the end of the year test and all the subjects to see how much ground I've, I've got to cover this year. And um. Um, your daughter, she she answered every single question correctly. And I said, wow. Oh, okay, that's good. I said, So when are you gonna move her on to the second grade curriculum? And there was just dead silence on the phone. No. And she said, Oh, Mrs. Sheldon, we're not allowed to do that. And again, there was dead silence on the phone. And I said, Well, my daughter's not allowed to sit in your class all year and learn nothing. And that was it. So I started as a, you know, uh, an advocate for my oldest and soon started advocating at the school, the district level. Um, and then that that moved on to the, you know, the state level and a little bit at the national level. So, how so the rest f- was history.
0: Yeah. <laughs> how fast did that kind of timeline go? So if your daughter, it all started when she was in first grade, did that take right. years? Did that take months? How quickly were you able to kind of progress from that conversation with the first grade teacher to where you are now?
1: Um, well, within the year, I had started to connect with the Ohio Association for Gifted Children, which was in a bit of disarray in the early nineties. The the uh, president had was ill, and they weren't holding meetings, and in they knew they had some money somewhere, but they didn't know where it was. I and mean, it was really an interesting, uh, wow. <laughs> really interesting backstory with that. Um, but they were very open to having, you know, parents as as advocates. So they, uh, you know, they opened up like a, a position on the board and I started, you know, going to state board of education meetings and um, going to the legislature and, you know, everything I, I learned, I, I just learned by doing it. Um, so, uh, and I was really bad at it at the beginning. I, I was so obnoxious. I'm pretty obnoxious anyway, you know, <laughs> but, um, because I tend to be fairly blunt, but I was so bad, you know, those are the days when, Internet was just coming online and I did have the internet, but it was the old phone internet where you get, you know, 30 minutes a week or whatever it was. <laughs> Dial up. But the you dial up, it was dial up. Yeah. And I remember AOM. there was some issue of a state board. Yes. I, I still have my AOL account. drives my kids nuts, but I, but it's like, listen, it's retro. I'm never getting rid of it. I do have five Gmail accounts, but I'm never getting rid of my AOL account.
0: They might be worth something in a couple of years. Yeah,
1: yeah, <laughs> they're gone. Vintage, you, right? right, right. But I do remember probably the, the most obnoxious thing I did was uh, well of well of many uh, was. I sent this 13-page long uh, letter about some issue before the state board, the state board president, and I faxed it to her. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> there were no file attachments back then. There
0: wow. No, there was
1: no Google Drive or links or anything. <laughs> so, so what I did see her the next week at the meeting, oh, she chewed me out. She's like, don't you ever send me <laughs> Oh, tie up my fast machine because apparently took like a half hour to get through but, <laughs> so those are the good old days you
0: know oh my gosh and we had no idea this is funny
1: <laughs> yeah so i was i did that for quite a you know through the 90s and then in 2001 uh the association was looking for a uh an executive director. And I said, you know what, I could do that. Um, I have a background in, in business. And thankfully my master's degree also had a nonprofit component and it's like, I I can do this. Um, and so it allowed me to, you know, help strengthen the organization, which has come so far since the early nineties. Um, and, uh, And allowed me to do the thing that I still love to do best, which is to advocate for for gifted kids Um, more at the state policy level, because that's what I'm good at.
2: Well, thank you for all of the work that you have done to make it what it is today. And I'm sure it was not an easy feat. Um, But I have to know, did your daughter have to sit through first grade and in that classroom?
1: (laughs) So she did sit in through first grade. we did have a gifted coordinator at the time um, in the district. We no longer have that in, in uh, the district that, that we're in, which is like so many other districts. And one of the things that bothers me most about the changes that are, are happening in the state of Ohio, but, um, but we had an agreement. I would, I would work to help strengthen the gifted program overall by advocating where she could not. Um, and then she, uh, would, she pulled, uh, my oldest out and, uh, and another group of kids and they did math lessons like twice a week. Um, and then she was able to go to like the, the second grade, they called it PEP program, which was an enrichment program. She did end up skipping second grade, which they had not done before in that school. And, um, And she uh, was much more highly accelerated in math. Um, So, yeah, I mean, she definitely was uh, profoundly gifted. Um, She ended up going to MIT and uh, she's um, a quantum physicist.
2: Wow. Incredible. Yeah, it is.
1: So
0: would she say now that looking back, that was a great thing? She was happy that you pushed for her to... Great accelerate, or what would she say about that now?
1: Um I think she was fine with it. Um she was a little trepidatious at the time, you know, for maybe like two weeks. But what is so important is they put her in a classroom with a very receptive teacher. Mm. And she loved her third grade teacher. And that was that was the secret sauce there. Um, if you put a kid in with a teacher that is not doesn't want that child there, it's not going to work out too well. But um, I, she was fine. Um,
0: yeah, she never looked back. Good.
1: <laughs> she really just never looked back. Yeah. Yeah,
0: and she did fine going to college as you know, technically a year younger than her peers. Oh yeah, no
1: problem yeah. at all.
0: That's great.
1: Um, what she did do. Um, They call it College Credit Plus now, but they were called it uh, post-secondary enrollment um, back when she was doing it. And she did quite a bit of that in high school. And even at MIT, she had she had done all of the math that she needed to do for her undergraduate um, program um, moving. So the first year, you know, where everyone at MIT, they didn't really they were pretty frightened because it's it's a the undergraduate work there it's it's um it's tough but I think because she had gone down she went down to the OSU main campus um and she had a a lot of classes there and I think that really prepared her for oh my gosh a 40 on a math test is not the end of the world they're gonna Mm -hmm. they're gonna curve that you know (laughs) so wow um Yeah. So those kinds of things, I think, are really helpful for her.
0: Yeah. We think the College Credit Plus program is wonderful. And we are looking forward to hearing more about that from some other students, too. Yeah. Oh,
1: yeah. That is great. Yeah, that's been a really good program in Ohio. I mean, I don't love the fact that a lot of high school teachers are now teaching it on campus. Not that they're not qualified, as I said, you know, I took calculus from my high school uh, (laughs) um, math teacher when uh, I was in high school. Even I had to take it at the community college uh, where he taught it because they wouldn't let him teach it at the high school so that it's not that teachers aren't qualified if they're in high school. But I think it's the experience of going to the college campus that is so important. Um, for high school kids, especially those who are, um, you know, first generation, um, college goers, um, just to gain that confidence that, that you might need to be able to maneuver the system because high school kids don't know that no one's going to hold your hand in college. If you fail, you fail. You're just one in a, one in a big number. Um, no, you know, no one's going to be looking over your shoulder no one's going to, you know, Tell you, oh, you you make sure you get your homework in or or whatever,
0: yeah, it makes so. them very independent, and very resourceful.
1: yeah, absolutely.
0: And were you okay as a mom, letting her go down to OSU main campus and take these college mm-hmm. credit classes? Tell us a little bit more about that.
1: Yeah, well, this is where it was great that I could work from home um, because <laughs> because she was younger, I had to drive her down. Um, the first year, and she actually had to get her 50 hours of, you know, driver's training, and so we would drive down through a pretty unsavory part of uh, Columbus to get to campus. Um, we she learned how to do urban driving at night, which, sorry folks, you don't stop the lights if you're a single <laughs> young lady in a car, you just keep going in a bad <laughs> neighborhood. I grew up in the yeah. trade area. So, um, so, um, you know, she, she learned how to get her driver's training. in, And then, you know, they, she had a, a permit parking. And so when she was able to go on her own, I was like, shoot, that's great. Cause I used to have to drop her off, go to a Starbucks and, um, you know, do some work there and pick her up. But, you know, it was an hour out of my day, you know, just driving her back and forth or being driven back and forth. But uh, it, it was worth it. She got a lot out of it.
2: So, Anne, I would love to wrap back around to what you mentioned about your, the current district that you live in now and how mm-hmm. they don't have a gifted coordinator.
1: No, no. Is it a they, gifted
2: program or a gifted coordinator?
1: They do have gifted services, okay, um, but they do not have a gifted, a dedicated gifted coordinator like so many districts. You know, when I started out, um, and i I've been tracking the, the data for a while, the number of gifted coordinators in the state it just goes down each and every year. Mm. So while they may get some. Um, I don't think they even get anything from the ESC. Usually, it's just some a principal or something where they tack the duties on, or a curriculum coordinator, um, and that's all well and good. But man, if you don't have someone with gifted doing the curriculum and the and the developing the service models at every single level, I I think it it it's not as good a program. Um, so it, it's one of the things that that bothers me a lot about where we're going in Ohio, where there seems to be fewer gifted coordinators, you know, ESD coordinators who are providing services to way too many districts. Um, and and even more, you know, moving away from gifted intervention specialists and and saying, okay, classroom teachers, you're in charge of uh, gifted now. I mean, they do get 60 hours of uh, professional development. Some of it's great. Some of the professional development is really good, but others, it, the quality of control is not there. So mm-hmm. it, I mean, it, it is good to to have some flexibility for districts to provide services, but I do think we've gone maybe a little bit too far, and that we need a little bit of quality around what services are being provided.
0: And can you tell us what your doing like right now in OAGC to kind of advocate for changing that direction?
1: Well funny you should mention <laughs> <laughs> um we we did get a few things in the budget um that at least help for some visibility. Um the budget bill has to do with funding the state operations but there's a lot of policy that goes in there. Um tell us it, about it. <laughs> Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, the whole school funding system changed, which is very interesting. Mm -hmm. But there's also a lot of education policy that that went into the state budget. And part of it. What we did get in there that is helpful is, um, first of all, we finally have some accountability for gifted funding. Um, It's is it all I would hope? No, but at least it says, hey, districts if you're getting funding for gifted kids in the formula you actually have to spend it on gifted kids right um and we have not had that for quite a while so that part i think is really good um also at some point um the department is going to have to put together information about what services are being offered and which grade bands and how many gifted professionals are employed by the district? At least then, you know, parents have a better idea you know, oh, my gosh, you say you're serving all these kids, but there's only two gifted mm-hmm. professionals. How is that yeah. working exactly? So that's, you know, visibility is the first key, letting people know what's actually going on. Um, the second piece will have to do with the new gifted performance indicator that will come through with the with the new report card which is going to be um hopefully voted out by the state board um in oh no march sorry yeah next tuesday as a matter of Hmm. fact um and the indicator has been really revamped you know uh the indicator the gifted indicator has been an interesting kind of um tool for us as advocates um it's the first one in the nation i don't know if there's any other state
2: that's done that Hmm.
1: and it came about um in the strickland administration where i said you know how are we going to have any accountability for gifted if you won't do a mandate and they and they you know, one of the funding experts at the time, I kind of buttonholed him because as I said I'm kind of obnoxious. Um, and I said, you know, you're saying you should have this funding or that funding. But, you know, if you're not going to stay serve the kids, how is this going to work? And, and he said, we'll have some kind of performance measure then. And I thought, hmm, OK, well, let's let's think about that. What would that look like? And so we actually got language in what was called House Bill 1. And this was like in 2009, I think, that we developed that performance indicator. And what's interesting is that House Bill 1, once the Kasich administration got into office, they eliminated almost the whole darn bill <sighs> and all the language in it. But the gifted indicator stayed. And it it's remained throughout, you know, all the administration um, and when it went into place um, there are three components one is performance one is growth and the other is um, what's currently called gifted input point and basically it was like how are you how well are you serving kids and you know how are well are you identifying them it was pretty rudimentary it is pretty pretty rudimentary and we quickly knew that we needed to make some changes, which we have done now and those will flow through into the next indicator because one of the things we know for sure is we are doing a really, really bad job identifying economically disadvantaged kids mm-hmm. gifted and underrepresented minority kids gifted and we know we have to do a better job with that. So there's going to be a lot more weight put on that that issue so Um,
0: do you feel like we're going in the right direction
1: in in terms of some of the accountability i do
0: um
1: and i the other piece of what's going to be happening policy-wise is here is that we're going to be um redoing the rule the gifted rule which is um This is a little bit technical, but it's administrative code that kind of governs how districts um, apply the law for gifted students. Um, And it it does cover both identification and and service. And the rule has to be uh, revisited every five years by by law. So we're up for review. Um, And we had quite a few changes to the rule the last time around, including... The fact that classroom teachers could provide gifted services, um, but uh, they had to get 60 hours of of professional development. Um, We know now that that some of the districts are doing a good job with that, but others are not, you know. Mm -hmm. Even if those teachers in the classroom have that PD, they're still supposed to be supported by a gifted intervention specialist or a coordinator, someone with gifted background, and that is not always the case. So the other thing that we got into the budget bill is that um, the ODE can, they've always been able to, not always, but back to 1989, they've been able to audit gifted identification numbers at the district. Well, now they can also audit services. So districts that are not actually providing real services, um, parents will have the ability, you know, to talk to the department and say, hey, can you talk to my district about this? They're they're not actually doing anything. It's a spelling bee or, you know, whatever. Hmm. So I hope that we can strengthen the rule and get a little bit more quality control around what service means because I think we have to we have to tighten up those definitions. Um, yeah, we probably need to add more flexibility in terms of how gifted kids were served, but I think we've gone too far and we need to, to pull back on that a bit.
2: So do you think in, you know, your hands in this and your prediction, do you think that the newly updated gifted role as you, you know, revisit, do you think that HQPD piece will change a little bit or stay the same?
1: Yeah. Um, I think it will stay the same. I think they're going to have to be other quality controls around what it needs to look like. And also, once you are done with the four years of PD, you don't stop learning about gifted. And there's there's very nebulous language about what happens after that. Mm -hmm. Um, Classroom teachers, if they're going to be service providers, they need to continue to to have gifted PD and, you know, beyond the the initial 60 hours. So I hope we can strengthen that a lot too.
0: Have you seen a district that is doing their HQPD really well that you could just describe so that other districts listening or teachers or GISs could be taking notes and maybe implementing that in their own district?
1: Um. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I would say the last couple of years with the pandemic have been terrible. Mm. <laughs> and I think the thought of classroom teachers getting their HQPD, it really it, it hasn't happened in a lot of areas. So, um I'm not going to talk about specific districts. There are some that I think do a pretty good job and some districts have gone so far as as you know said, you know, we need to have more gifted intervention specialists overall. Oh,
0: that's How about good.
1: and and they've, you know, chosen in various, you know, grade levels. It's like, can you get your gifted intervention specialist license? So um you know there were it really depends so much on district leadership. Um and to a certain extent building leadership, but you have to have mm-hmm. a superintendent that supports gifted. Um, And to do that, you have to have a a board that supports gifted as well. It's very helpful. And that's Mm -hmm. where gifted advocacy really does come in. Um, I've been thinking a lot about gifted parents and what we used to do in the olden days. You know, there used Mm -hmm. to be a lot more gifted parent groups. And they did a lot of good at the local level. Um, You know, we are having a hard time getting gifted parents even to fill out surveys You know, when we're asking, how can we help you? Because they're so tired, they (laughs) Mm -hmm. they just don't can't do one more thing. But then I think about all the parents who went and complained to board meetings about we don't want to wear a mask or we don't want to have critical race theory, even though it's not taught in any school district in Ohio. And I think, okay, where do they get their energy? Mm -hmm. You know, gifted parents still need. To, to band together and fight that fight at the local school district level, because you can have the best laws in the world and you can have the best administrative code and, and the most supportive department. Um, but unless you were doing things at the local level and pushing at the local level, you need a top down and a bottom up approach to, to make change. So what,
2: what is an example of something that our parents could do to, to, you know, help at the local level that would maybe not take up hours and hours of time, but just a small movement? Like what, what would you suggest?
1: It will take time, but there is Zoom now. So that's good. (laughs) Um, They should, they should try to find some common issue, some common problem. Um, you know, it could be at an elementary level or whatever, maybe it's like, could we at least have one gifted intervention specialist at the, at, you know, some school or whatever, or, you know, train one of the teachers and then, you know, rally around that point, pick one, two or, or three things and, and get some organization around that and, and talk to the board about that or talk to the board about. You know, why don't we have more AP offerings or why are we not doing more with honors classes or, you know, whatever it is? You know, every every local district is so different. Um, you know, the things that are are going to be needed and wanted and appropriate in like a an urban, a large urban district, they're not going to work in a small rural district. So everything is, is it's very has to be locally driven. Um, but it is still important for parents to get involved in all of that.
0: Is there a website or a place, um, I'm even just thinking ODE's website that they could go to to find more information about the policies and the house bills that are going on for Ohio and the gifted education piece? Is there anything else that you would recommend that parents could just log on to? Yeah,
1: I mean, one of the things I try not to to make it too heavy, um, but I, I do send out gifted um, advocacy alerts um, either from our, our Twitter account or from our on, on Facebook. So, you know, if they wanted to go look up O.A.G.C. on Facebook and follow that or if they want on Twitter, uh, it's O.A.G.C. gifted and follow that. They could at least follow along and and. And and see what the the various policies are. because um, we have a lot of information, a lot of policy information on our advocacy section of our of our website, which is oagC.com.
0: Oh good. How so, often does it get updated?
1: It gets updated as needed. Um, so there isn't a lot I have to share like this week, so I'm holding off. But next week, the report card rule should be through right and so i will have i'll update that next week okay um, when the gifted rules are starting up um, and they'll be doing stakeholder meetings then we'll be we'll be pushing that information out
2: okay so what if we're thinking about students here and if they're not getting the services that they need maybe from their district what other kind of resources could we share with our families or that you know that are maybe in Ohio that our gifted students can, you know, dip into?
1: I mean, I would, I would start a conversation at the district level just to see what they might do. But I, I was thinking about this the other day because, um, you know, as a, as a parent, when <laughs> in the olden days, you know, when internet was just, you know, dial up, um, we would get you know just workbooks and stuff like that from the teacher supply store. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that was enrichment, you know. <laughs> it's like which isn't really ideal. Or the library, though the library is still an amazing source. But when you think, especially during the pandemic, the number of incredible resources that are out there online, um, <laughs> the Google is your friend, um, and it is so dependent on what the the kid, wants to do and is interested in I I don't know that you have to actually be a teacher to your child but I think you do need to offer um, some outlets of their interest you know if their interest is art then do take them to the museum do try to you know there are virtual tours of, of various things there are probably even some art classes that you can do online or in person so You know, parents need to be driven by the the needs and the wants of their children. You know, I I know there's this kind of stereotype of parents, like pushing their children to be gifted or whatever. I I have not seen that that much in in my advocacy. Typically, when a parent calls me or or emails me or whatever, they're desperate. And almost always hmm. they will say something to me like, well, I don't want my kid to be gifted, but here we are. And it's like, that's right. And by the way, you're sending a hugely negative message to your kid telling them that you don't want them to be gifted. Right. <laughs> so hmm. try to be a little positive about that, even though I know it's pain. Hmm. Um, most gifted kids, they're just, they're eager to learn and they want to learn something new and and different and they don't always get that in the classroom because usually curriculum is just like that bowling ball that goes down the middle of the you know the alley and it it hits all the pins but the one on the left and the one on the right you know yeah. um so you, you've got a significant population that's kind of left out of a out of a strike zone so um i, I think parents need to push the districts a little bit. And I know that's hard. It's particularly hard in, in smaller cities where you might, you know, have to sit next to the teacher you're harassing. I'm using (laughs) that in (laughs) jokingly. Um, If you have to sit next to them church the next Sunday, it gets to be difficult, but there's a way to do that. That is it's like, Hey, you know, can we work together? How, what can we do? Um, but also I think there are opportunities out there, many more so than when I, I was raising my kids that, that parents can avail themselves of, though I do fully understand how terrible it is right now, where a lot of people are still working from home. There are still COVID issues. There are still, and we have kids that, um, you know, like second graders have never had a normal school year. right? And, um, you know, and talking mm. to my educator friends and my board, I see the exhaustion on their faces. And and I'm here to tell people the kids are not all right. Um, you, you know, they may get back to an academic level in a year or two, but there are some mental health issues that we're going to be dealing with for mm-hmm. a long time. Um, and the little ones are barely, you know, as one of my friends said, yeah, they're first graders and they're practically feral because they never learned how to be a school child. You know, they would never learned how to line up or do those things you learn to do in kindergarten. Um, so it, we've got it's going to be it's going to be rough. Um, I know we're identifying fewer children right now. Um, I know some of it is the lack of, of testing. But some of it is just kids are, they are falling behind.
0: So speaking of, sorry, that's not too, (laughs) no, this is great. (laughs) Speaking of the mental health piece and you have three gifted children of your own. Now, granted they are on their own and, you know, out of your nest. How are they finding some peace with this or just working through the mental health piece of living through a pandemic for two years?
1: Um, It's been interesting. Each one of them as a gifted adult and gifted in very different ways has dealt with it differently. Um, One of my kids goes to therapy and that kid is the Mm -hmm. (laughs) nurse. So um, I will just say, uh, I'm a a, uh, a fan of the therapy. Um, I think it's not a bad idea. Um, uh, Another kid just really wasn't uh, just felt so stymied by the lack of being able to live their lives, you know? Hmm. So it, it has been definitely disruptive for, for all the kids. It's been disruptive for, for me and my husband. Actually, my husband did super well. He retired right before the pandemic and, and he's kind of an introvert anyway. So he's been happy as a clam. So. <laughs> Perfect timing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, definitely.
0: Well, it sounds like we're all kind of in this together as the tagline has been said over the last two years. And we're all just really trying to figure these things out together. And as, you know, as individual family members like your family, um, I know for our families, we're all dealing with, you know, trying to be as normal as we possibly can in this new quote unquote life and I think you're right what you said about just that balance of finding other hobbies and mental outlets, yeah. but also utilizing what we have on the internet now that we do have so many resources out there. And then also just our community, like our local communities, our state communities, and our you know national communities, how we can kind of go from the top to the bottom and join yeah. together. I think you've kind of nailed it all together and it's it's really something that we can carve time out to do. We just have to do
1: it. you have to make the time to do it, yeah, yeah, but like everything out, like like working out, you just you schedule the time to do it
0: absolutely I
1: well, mean I will tell you i um I went through the master gardener program uh right before during the pandemic, and I will tell you. It saved my life.
0: Really? Like being able
1: to get out, and you know, the one thing you could do was be outside. Yeah. So, and then, you know, just, and then, you know, all these tremendous people, and, and, uh, you know, working in a community garden was super fun and very fulfilling, and learned a ton of new things. And so, yeah, it, there's never, it's never too late to learn something new and to get excited about something. Um, lifelong learning is no joke. It's, it's incredible.
0: You nailed it. I, we couldn't agree more. It is all about lifelong learning. What are you going to put yourself out there to learn next and carving out that time?
1: Absolutely. Yeah, I would encourage especially um, mothers um take some time for yourself it's one thing i probably regret <laughs> not mm. doing you know in in the thick of things um because it, you know everyone needs you everybody needs you your work needs you your husband needs you your kids need you your your parents need you but sometimes you just need to be left alone for a minute
2: yeah 100% um, yeah Thanks
1: for that. Easier said than done. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, Anne, thank you so much for giving us your time today and being here to talk with us. And we have had a great time.
1: Great. I had a ball. Thank you so much. Yes. Thanks, Ann. Wow,
2: Jill, that was an amazing chat that we just had with Ann Sheldon. She has just definitely paved the way for our gifted world here in Ohio. And it was so interesting to hear just some of the policy updates and what's you know coming and what's changed over the years in our state. Absolutely. And I loved that she told us
0: kind of where she came from with the 90s um, timeline and what was going on way back when her kids were little to where she is now and the involvement that she has really spearheaded. So it's really exciting that we're able to hear these things that are coming up in the next couple weeks and months of this current year of 2022. And just to see the direction that gifted and the policymakers are headed for our state. I think it's also important that we kind of take note as, you know, teachers, parents, gifted intervention specialists, even kids themselves, students themselves, how we can be involved in our local, you know, school districts in terms of advocating for gifted representation, gifted services, gifted just awareness, but also at the state level. I think that's so important to not forget there is stuff going on and there's ways for us to get involved and hear about it.
2: Yeah. And whether you're in Ohio or not, to follow the like gifted association of your state whether you're on social media or if it's just signing up for an email to just be in the know and how you can advocate for our gifted kids
0: yes and these people who are representing our states and even locally they are just doing their best they're trying to be out there and really advocate and and represent this gifted population which we need Thanks, everyone, for listening to another Adventures and Being Gifted episode. Please make sure you subscribe and review us wherever you listen to your podcast so you don't miss an episode.
2: Join us again next time for more Adventures and Being Gifted. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Being Gifted Pod. And join us again next time for more Adventures and Being Gifted.